All right. Now, we are going to kickstart a series called Frequently Asked Questions. Frequently Asked Questions was really an attempt by us. In the month of January, we went to the church and we asked what were the questions that were bothering you about faith. Uh, faith, life, whatever. So we did not receive, I thought I'm going to receive really 100, okay? But we did not, but we did, we did receive a fair bit of questions. Uh, when we worked through the question, we recategorized them into four categories. And the four categories of questions that we are trying to tackle with in this series uh, is the question of the existence of God. Does God really exist? Now, I know that not only unchurched people ask that question. Uh, oftentimes, as you become a Christian, you do ask that question. And some of us potentially ask the question, and like I said it often, sometimes we go to Sunday school when we were very young, for all of us who are old Christians, but the Jesus remains the Sunday school size. As we navigate the corporate world, the Sunday school size Jesus will never help you to navigate through all the challenges that the corporate world throws at you. The bribery situation, the justice, the righteousness, or you take the small size of Jesus and you work through your marriage and you find it that because the Jesus in me or the understanding or the, the re-asking the question of who God is was never being asked in a different lens, you potentially never grow up in your faith. So which is why for some Christians, it remains a religious activity. It remains a clock in, clock. I come to church, I clock in, I did my part. Hopefully, when I meet God, God is able to take that. I get to go to heaven. And the rest of what you do in the rest of your life is what you want to do. Uh, that's not the right way to think. Uh, so the existence of God was like a rehash of wanting to relook at not only what the things you wrestle in your heart, what the things the world out there is wrestling. I'm going to give you a couple of questions shortly on this little statement called the existence of God. Uh, then we're going to do with the engagement of culture. And we're not necessarily going to go through this flow uh, because there's only four preachers for this series and we're trying to do it all across all our nine or ten, uh, no, not, not all the churches doing that, but whatever churches that we are directly involving, like Churras, Rimbayu, Satapa, and all that. So we are trying to wrestle through. Uh, so myself, Pastor Sean, Eugene, and Pastor Jason, four of us, is going to do this series. Obviously, I'm going to do my part and then I go to U.S., uh, the engagement of culture is trying to answer the question, how much of a culture and how do I look at culture from a biblical lens? And questions like the two questions like, you know, how much cultural practices is embraced? So we're going to look through that. And then we're going to deal with the confusion of sexuality and gender. And some of you may know and may not know there's a big uproar in the Western world about this whole gender confusion and also sexuality confusion. But bottom line is this, I may be a gender when it comes to a male, but sexuality, I may have a different preference. Or right now, I may have male uh, sexual organ, but I may be a female within me. You know, so you have this entire debate uh, that at some point is going to knock on our door. Especially if you are a parent and your children go to international school, this is part of what is happening in our culture. So we're going to address that. And finally, we're going to look at also the credibility of the Bible and uh, trying to deal with some of the potentially newer criticism that surrounds the subject of the Bible. So today, 
I'm going to kickstart with the existence of God. When I think about the existence of God, there were questions like, why do we believe God exists? I've not seen Him. Uh, does He really, is He there? What is the proof? Can you actually prove God? Uh, two, how do we know that the Christian God is a real God? Every religion claims that their God is real. When it comes to the spectrum of belief, there's at least eight to ten categories. And in each every categories, there's a list of different religious expression when it comes to that. When you look at the hundreds of different belief systems, how in the world would you know that the Bible God is really the true and living God? And that's a very common question that you've got to wrestle with. Third, can I be scientifically rational and still believe in God? Because the, the new atheists, the, the Richard Dawkins, the Sam Harris, the Christian Hitchin, and all of them has taken a side and said that uh, all Christians only believe in blind faith. They do not use reason, rationale. Not so true. Uh, because I can, I can list out a whole top, notch scientists who believe in who God is. And for them, science helps them to connect the dot who God is. And, you know, I, I don't think I have all the time to cover this and potentially in the dialogue, we can dialogue a little bit. Uh, and number four question, like, if God exists, He's all-knowing and all-powerful, does that mean we don't have a choice? Absolutely not. Because today, this morning, God did not force any one of you to be here. God did not force you to wear the clothes that you wear. You choose uh, to wear that. You choose the kind of breakfast that you do. And then the fifth question is, if God exists, why do bad things still happen to us? 21st century, the greatest in every urban society, the greatest pushback for anybody to believe in God is the subject of suffering. Now, I don't directly cover it in this message, but if we have time to dialogue about it, I'll be more than happy to dialogue about it. Uh, and just because of the vastness of the amount of questions related to the existence of God, it's very hard for me. But I'm going to give you a big enough uh, picture and the journey of how I and potentially you derive at a spot that there has to be a God uh, in our life and in this world. All right, now, this is what I call the journey of faith. Everybody, would you say that together? Say journey of faith. In everyone's journey of faith, it's never a... It's, there's always been many pit stops. There will be always spots where you have to relook at what do you actually believe. But in the journey of faith, the first stop is actually you have to wrestle with you, does God really exist? If I embrace a worldview of there is no God, which is a more livable worldview, which makes greater sense, which takes more faith to believe in no God, or to believe in God. That, that's the first stop you've got, to, you've got to wrestle with as every human being that steps into life. All right? That's the first stop. Now, once you think that there is a God, the second stop is to think that, is this God the God of the Bible? We live in an age where a lot of people believe in what they call the creator, the supernatural being, or they call it the boss up there, the, 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 the being up there, the force, whatever. So a lot of people believe in the supernatural. Uh, if you do not, we are living in an Asian culture. Most of you, when you go for a Boy Scout, Girl Guides camp, campfire, the biggest thing you talk about is ghost story. 
All of us have some form of supernatural encounter. If we don't have, we borrow our uncle's story. If we don't have, we borrow our uncle's auntie's story, right? We borrow until we have a story to tell because this, this whole supernatural encounter is very part of uh, the way we live. Uh, I had my own. I had one time when I was very young, I was on a bike. I hit a pothole. My hands was totally off the wheel and I was steering towards where an uh, upcoming van and and I thought I, that's the end of my life. Uh, because the, the van came, it was awfully second, it was raining. But for whatever reason, without my hand on the wheel, my bike was able to steer to the other end. And by the time the van passed me, then only the horn came by because everything was so split second. And I managed to hold back the handle and I managed to stabilize my bike, stopped by the roadside with the heavy rain pouring. I was, I was having cold sweat. And I knew that God protected my life. And, and all of you have little stories like that. So is there God? Is that coincident? So we have to wrestle through, does God exist? And is this God of the Bible? So I was telling you that a lot of people believe in this, this being up there. I've met a lot of people that would tell me that, Pastor, I do pray every morning. It's just that I don't know who do I pray to. So I open up the window, I look to heaven and I say, whoever that's up there, give me the energy for today. Thank, thank you for today. And I always ask them this question. So did you then, at the end of the day, figure out who actually are you talking to? They say, I don't know who am I talking to. Then I always tell them, uh, it's like you come to my house, you ask my son. My son will tell you that I've got a father, he's up there. Oh, tell me a bit more about father. I don't know. Every belief that you have, you wanted to put some substance. And today we are able to tell you who God is, His character, His thinking, His plan, His purpose. Why? Because God reveals Himself to us. That's why we are able to concretely piece that together. But your job and my job is to at least work through on that. And number three is then how can I know God? The three stages to derive to say that there has to be a God. First of all, you have to think through which makes greater sense. A, a system without God or a system with God. Number two, how then do I narrow down this amount of belief system and say that this is the God of the Bible? Number three, then how do I then relate to God? That's what I'm going to walk through with you in the next 20 minutes, which is highly impossible, but let me do my best, all right? Let me go at the first pit stop. Does God exist? The whole tension about supernatural versus natural. For those who did not believe in the supernatural, we call them the naturally, naturalist or naturalism, which is a philosophical thinking that all that you see and all that you experience, that's all we have in this life. Nothing more than that. There's no life after death. If you die, you die. You disappear. You're like a candle blown off. No longer exists. Is that true? Naturalism. Theists versus atheists, concept with or without God. When it comes to the world of belief, I'm just giving you the four most fundamental, which is atheists who did not believe in God, no existence of God. A agnostic are those who are open to believe in God if you are able to prove to me there is a God. So I do not know. Might be, maybe. And how you become agnostic, some of us think that we're agnostic because we believe in the supernatural. We've seen a couple of images of ghosts or spirit that we think that, hey, there must be supernatural. So I believe. So help me to navigate this space called God. 
And at some point, I may believe in your God, which is why some of you come to church, some of you go for different beliefs, some of you listen to different YouTube, because you are in this journey of trying to figure who He is. Pantheism, which is different from polytheism, polytheism means there are many, many gods and they are at war with one another. Pantheism are all gods, they are all in this big universe, but they are all together, they are in one. So I, nature, trees, plants, all can be some form of God. There's a God in me, which is a scary thought, right? There's a God in you. I mean God, God is in me. And this whole pantheism thinking. Uh, so Hinduism kind of promotes that kind of a thinking. And then finally, you've got monotheism, which is believed that God is only singular, where Islam, Judaism, and Christianity falls into this category. Now, in a, what we call a very pluralistic society or very polarized society, it is very common for people to think that all this actually leads to the same God. It's very common. It's very polite to say that, great, whatever you believe works for you. Fantastic. And I know that's, the, that's a nice thing to say, but it may not be an accurate thing. So for me, I kind of struggle with that thought. You know why? Because when you take the whole spectrum of 8 to 10, and I only give you 4, I have not included deism, polytheism, uh, the, what do you call that, the animism. I, I have not even included all the ism to describe the spectrum of belief. But based on this four and the, the number of different thinking in all of them, when you piece them together to say that all leads to the same God is very hard to swallow. You know why? Because every one of them preaches and teaches a very divine being that is absolutely so different. And it's hard for me to try to piece all together because it helped me to conclude that this spiritual being, it's a schizo spiritual being. Why do I say so? If I can just help you to walk through. If I take only four, if I take, uh, if I take Islam, Christianity, Hinduism, and Buddhism, just the big four religion system, and try to understand what is the God that they're talking about. So for the Islamic world, God is transcendent. He is someone that you cannot really know. He is someone that's up there, which is why they'll say a word called insha'Allah, which means the will of God be done because he's, he's, he's unknowable. He's up there by his own. And then you come to the Christian God. God is very loving. He's our heavenly father. He's someone that walks with you, feels for you, step, dwell among us, and very different depiction. Then you come to the Hinduism, it's everybody can be God, everyone, everything can be God, the stone, the trees, the, the plants, the animals. And then you hit into Buddhism, which is really a world by itself, because and in our culture, coupled with Taoism, we are so confused with what is mythology belief and what is really Buddhism. But for some Buddhism, they will tell you that we are not actually into a deity, we believe in principle. And it's actually not a belief system, but it's a principle that guides me. It's almost like you come to my house and you meet my four children. The first one you go to, you say, our elder son, you say, could you describe your father? Yeah, my father is always in upstairs, second floor, never come down. And uh, sometimes he gives me some money. I say, thank you, father. You're so good. Thank you, God. You're so father. You, you are good God. You're a good father, right? But I cannot know him because he's upstairs. He never comes down. 
And then you go to a, a, another second son of mine who tells you that, uh, who, who, who tells you that my father is so personal. He, he walks with me. He talks to me. He sends me to school. He grabs food for me. He takes me out for my favorite food. I love my father. And then you talk to my third son. He tells you everybody is my father. I walked out, my neighbor can be my father, my, everybody can be my father. And then you go to my fourth child, he says, my father is like a principal, he doesn't exist. He's like this chat GPT, you ask any question, he gives you principal to handles. You will walk away and say, that is a very strange family. I'm saying all of that to say that if I only just limit to four, it was very difficult to piece together this concept of God because every religion preaches a concept of God that is absolutely so contrary to each other. All right? Now, so then how then do I know does God exist? In the apologetic world, one derives the existence of God by working through, I give you the simplest three arguments. You can have a bit more. Some of the argument is very hard to understand, especially the ontological argument, which is a philosophical argument, which I did not introduce to you. But basically, the cosmological argument, which is the study about universe, is trying to say a very simple principle. All right? It can be very complex. Let me simplify it for you. It's trying to say that Every, everything that's a cause and effect. So today I have a iPad. That's the effect. Where's the cause? It, when I trace back all my plastic, all religion, I go back to a person called Steve Jobs that actually created this. With that principle and with the scientific understanding of the universe that has a beginning, which previously they thought universe has always existed but it has proven mathematically universe has a beginning and it's always expanding. Thus, who started the universe? It's either creation, a creator, God, or in the scientific world, it's called the Big Bang. But even in the Big Bang, who started the Big Bang? Who caused the bang? That's the question. So the cosmological argument is trying to say that it is easier to believe that every beginning has a beginner. It's easier. It's almost like I come to you and say that uh, this, this exists, right? How did this exist? I don't know. Which is easier to believe? Someone created or it just exists by itself? It is as that. The, the teleological argument is argument about purpose. When they look at our universe and when they look at human being, the, the complexity of design the design demands a designer. The creation demands a creator. Okay? So the design demands a designer. So who in the world that helped to piece this universe, which by the way, Earth is the only planet is livable. And there are actually 100 over constant. Gravity, atom, atmos, I mean just on and on. And when who did such a fine-tuning that the universe that we live in, we are able to breathe and live? Who, who thought about that? Now, all of us would believe when we had the evolution of phone, formed the first mobile phone, which is a brick, a weapon, an atomic bomb, can kill the dog with it, okay? To a smartphone today, am I correct? Now, don't you agree with me? Someone who designed the first brick phone to someone who designed this, we say this is smarter. Don't, don't you agree with that? Why? Because this has so many functions. 
this can send email, this can take picture, now there's selfie, there's, oh my goodness, there's so many things that we can do with this smartphone, that's why it's called smartphone. So someone smarter than the smartphone would have actually built this. So the teleological argument is trying to say, when you look at universe, it's such a livable space. When you look at us human, there is no part of our body that is useless. Everything within us is, is purposefully made. Our hand will never of the same length because if it's same length, you can't even hold your hands together. And God purposely made the smallest finger for a very powerful usage. Okay, you don't want me to demonstrate that, okay? But my point is, every part of our body was so purposefully designed. And you walk away either to think that by chance, and this is where you've got to wrestle. Everything is by chance or everything is by design. So if I were to come to you and say that, hey, you know what? We had a massive explosion in this building 19, in the year 2017. After the explosion, this is what we get. A very nice auditorium. A couple of plastic, and then we got a chair. A couple of metal, we got a beam. A couple of, I don't know, some sound equipment, you know, some metal thing. And then we got a sound equipment that's just projected. Now, how many of you think that it is easier to believe that someone designed than to tell me it happens just by chance? I, I don't know, is there any credible thing, structure that happens just over by time over years and years and years, and eventually we say, that's credible. It's almost, it's almost now. So everything that we see, everything that we see today, it goes back to someone that is there. That's a teleological argument. The, right, the next one is the moral. Moral argument is trying to answer you that every one of us has a sense of right and wrong. Every one of you know that it is wrong to abuse a child across the board. How in the world to do that? Every creation demands a creator, every design demands a designer, Every life demands a life giver. Every moral argument or every moral demands a moral giver. It's as simple as that. Now, when you work through all this, you generally come to a spot to think that, I think it's not just by chance. There's someone bigger and better that creates this whole thing, that it just appears by itself, all right? That's the first pit stop you've got to work through. The second pit stop is, how then do I know the god or the goddess, the amount of forces out there, how do I know it's not Star Wars? How do I know that it is not alien that created us, which there is a belief that we were created by alien? How in the world would I know that? Eventually, how would I know it wasn't Chat GPT that created us? So, how I know it's God of the Bible. Now, it's a very important statement. The only way we know God is because God, every say together, God reveal himself to us. Now, no one can figure God out. I want you to know that. No one. But because God revealed himself unto us, therefore, God began to make sense to our reasoning, to the way we think, to the way we feel. So how does God reveal himself? The Bible tells us there are three ways God revealed himself. Number one, God revealed himself through creation. Like I said, creation demands a creator. So the Bible says in Romans 1.20, for his invisible attribute, we cannot see him, namely three things, his eternal power, divine nature, have clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So the Bible says you cannot see God 
but you see who he is, his invisible attribute, his eternal power, his divine nature, just by the things he has created. The creation tells me there has to be a creator. Now, I have no time to come and talk about this, but creation was one way. Second, it's the Bible. It's the Word of God. It's, it's a, 2000, a couple of thousand, more than 2,000, sorry. It's, it's, it's 1,600 years of, com, of the written Word of God and, and now passed on to us how many thousand years later and the Word of God still speaks to us. It is the encounter you need to have with the Word of God, whether it's, and we're going to talk about the credibility of the Bible in one of the series, but this is a most favorite verse when you think about the Word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is, could you say together, is living, active, sharper. You know, when God thinks about His Word, if you want to know whether you have a dynamic relationship with the Word of God, ask yourself three questions. Is the Word of God living in you? Does it talk to you? Is the, word God of, is the Word of God active? Is it active in your life? Does it, does it move you? Does, when you do something wrong, is there a little Word of God that nudges you and say, hey, you know what, blessed are the pure? And then you kind of move away from what you watch, what you do. It's the Word of God living and active. And it's sharper. It's able to divide between soul and spirit. Such a little fine line is able to cut it through. So the Bible and the journey that you have with the Word of God is incredible for you to actually understand who God is. And finally, which is the most important thing, is like the last thing that God puts beyond the shadow of doubt that He actually is us because He came and dwelt among us. It's like that's, that's the only way God could have used the, the greatest cosmic event in the sky to tell us who He is. He did not do that. He walked among us, which has huge significance, which is, which is why when it comes to suffering and all that, you know that God cares for us because He suffered just like you and I, and He identified with us. Uh, so the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, which is quite a big verse because Acts 17, Paul was trying to explain to a whole bunch of people in Athens who do not know God. He talked about God as a creator. God puts people in the different time zone for the purpose of getting to know Him. And then he ends by saying that one day God is going to judge the world. Then he says, how do you know that all that Paul talked about is true? And he says this. He says that you know it because he has set a day he will judge the world by the man he has appointed, which is Jesus Christ. He has given proof of this to everyone, not just to someone, to everyone, by raising him from the dead. So God, in his last resort, to let you know that he truly is God, he says, check out Jesus' resurrection. He says, could you just check that out? Nobody starts a religion by claiming someone, someone dead and becomes alive. Nobody does that. It's the stupidest person that will ever do that to start any belief system. But God went to the far extent to you. You know that you can believe that I'm God because he, was, he, he died and he rose again. He conquered death, which is the biggest enemy of life. It wasn't math. It wasn't physics. I know, right? When you're studying, you thought that was a, it wasn't eating vegetable. That wasn't the greatest challenge. The greatest challenge in life is death. And, and he says that I raised him from the dead so that you and I will know that he is the first fruit. We can follow his footsteps. That's how credible God wants you to know he is. So I've got to check this out. When it comes to the resurrection space, I know people will then tell me, Pastor, show me medical proof. 
Show me a video of his resurrection. You know, that is impossible because there's no video by then. There is, there is none of all that. How would people in the past would have known something credible? How? Eyewitness. How would people know Nebuchadnezzar lived? Archaeology, eyewitness, historical record. The same thing that you would qualify anything, take that same thing and qualify who Jesus is, which is why his, his life, his burial, his resurrection is so credible because of the hundreds of eyewitnesses. They lived their lives so differently and eventually every one of them died for the person that actually introduced faith to them, which is Jesus Christ. Now, when you work through that, you then come to the point, it pushes you to think that, all right, I think God potentially makes more sense because there's no other belief system that is so stupid to start a belief system saying that, watch me dead, watch me alive, follow me. Nobody does that, right? Now, all that I talk about was to bring you to a spot where I call the reasoning. Reasoning will always bring you to a spot. But listen to this. For you and I to know that whether there's really a God, reasoning is not enough. You see, my wife is a relational being. So am I. I can do as much reasoning about my wife, but I will never get to know my wife because my wife isn't just a reason kind of a person. She is a relational person. So I can Google. I can Google about, oh, how is my wife's ability to take care of children? I can Google. My wife's cooking ability. Okay, I won't say much about that. I'm just kidding, okay? Uh, I, I can research everything. But research will bring you to a spot where you need to take it to relation. God is a relational being. That is why the greatest proof of God is not just the reasoning, it's eventually the relating. Now, which is why I make a phrase here. God is a relational being. The best way to know Him is not mere research or reasoning, but learning to relate to God. So Jeremiah 31, to a nation of Israel that rebelled against God, God says, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. Which means that anytime, anywhere, anyone. In fact, by the way, one of the favorite verses in the Bible, one of the favorite phrases in the Bible that I think is whoever. God always says, whoever that believes in Him, whoever that calls upon my name, is the most inclusive God way and say, whoever. All you needed to do is to have that desire to relate to God. All right, now. When it comes to this whole thing about relating to God, give me about another 10 more minutes or 8 more minutes, and then we're, we're going to jump into dialogue, okay? And then potentially you've got lots of questions to ask about God and more than happy to do my best, okay? But listen to this. When it comes to relational, it's always personal. You cannot duplicate it. My relationship with my wife is very different from I relate to William, very different from I relate to Zeth and Kelmin, very different from I relate to Terence and because everybody is different. Everybody likes different things, different food, different flavor, different. It's, it's just different. It's always personal. Which is why when it comes to is this food nice, you ask 10 people, 10 people give you 10 different answers, right? Because it's always personal. That's what makes God God. Because He can move into your world in your personal space with your personal struggle and your personal confusion and He can make sense to some of the difficult time and journey that we go through. Uh, so, one of my friends, uh, whom um, he was, he always prayed for people 
And, uh, and one day, he had a massive journey in his life where he kind of doubted God. And I still remember he was telling the story, and he says, I was, I was kneeling down by my chair, and I was praying. And my two-year-old son climbed up to the chair, put his hand on me, and says, my son, my son, I love you. And then while he was praying and wrestling with the issue, he thought to himself, who is calling whose son? This is the father and a two-year-old son. You know, and just when he was trying to brush that away, all of a sudden, God invaded his world and said, that's not your son. There was me wanting you to know how much I love you. And then he just broke down. And all of a sudden, something changed in his heart. Well, my favorite story one of our church friends here, and he, he told me this story. He says there was a season in his life, he's so full of fear. He says, Pastor, I cannot describe you the fear that I have. And then he says, but one night I had a breakthrough. And then he says, I'll tell you the story, but Pastor, you promised me you cannot laugh. I said, okay, I promise you I cannot laugh. And he told me the story. Some of you heard this story before. He says that I, I had my Nokia phone and I, I set my timer and I put it by the bed. And then middle of the night, I want to wake up. I woke up, I wanted to know what time is it. I picked up my phone and my phone was off. He says, no, I did not off it that night, but I set my timer. Then he says, I switched on this phone. When the phone, Nokia phone, the first word that comes out when the Nokia phone is on, what, what does it say? Nokia. But for him, when he read the word Nokia, it wasn't Nokia, it was Nokia. <laughs> See, you're laughing already. You know what? And then he said this. He says, Pastor, but kid you not. I knelt down by the bed and I just cry and cry and cry because I felt God invaded my world and said, do not be afraid. And I stood up and fear was gone. I don't know how to describe it. Now, we laugh at all these things, but that's just how personal God is. You, you, cannot, you cannot explain it. You knew the story, right? I, I, I so miss durian when I was in US world. And when I was thinking about how am I going to get durian, someone knocked on my door. A, a, a Westerner went to an Asian market and saw this fruit called King of the Fruit. Bought the fruit, came back, and then don't know what to do with the fruit because it was full of thorns. Knock on my door. He says, I'm looking for some Asian. And he says, uh, I got this kings of the fruit. What am I supposed to do with it? I don't know what to do. I bought it. Quite expensive. 30, 40, 50 US dollars. I said, oh, uh, could it be durian? I said, I don't know. Could you come? I went to his room. It was a durian. For him, for me, it was oh, king of fruits. For him, he doesn't know what, what he's going to get into. I said, I'll help you. I opened up the durian. And then I said, it's frozen. It's cold, right? I said, let me microwave it. I put inside the microwave, the, the smell of durian pervades the entire room. He ran out from the room, he says, take everything, I don't want it. <laughs> right? You knew the story. I mean, I can tell you stories of the stories of how God went personal to a person and changes the story. But my favorite this morning was about two days ago, we were in Kota Komuning, going for our Cairo. That's what old couples do when, when you reach certain age. Of us, this kind of the day will come, maybe. I'm just kidding, not, not prophesying, just joking, just joking. Okay. Anyway, and uh, we were having breakfast, and then lo and behold, we saw, my wife saw Josephine. Josephine is one of our uh, single mom, 
uh, serving kids. Just, just a, just an absolutely outstanding lady. And I, I told her I'm going to tell the story. She, I don't know if she's here this morning, but anyway, she was trying to have a me time, and then spotted by my wife and myself. So he said, Josephine, come and join us. So there go her me time. Okay, so she sat down with us. And then, you know, we're just catching up with life. I said, Josephine, how have you been? And, and Josephine works for J.P. Morgan, day and night, uh, huge demand, needs to take care of the mom, has two daughters, she's a single mom, have to support everything. So her life, as you know, is just full, so full, so full, morning, night, morning, night. So I look at Joseph, aren't you tired? She says, I am, Pastor, I'm really very tired because, uh, you know, and there's so much to do. And then, how have you been as a single and uh, she talked about when she first became a single mom, it was very difficult. Uh, she talked about, you know, every night I tell God, God, I'm so sorry, I'm just a crying baby. I cry every night. Uh, first, I don't know, you know, when my, when my washing machine, machine breaks down, I don't know what to do. I cry to God. I say, God, you can do the universe, but please fix my washing machine. Please fix my oven. Please fix my lie. And, you know, you don't even know who to call this single mom, right? And you are at that spot. I say, Josephine, you know, but Josephine, you, every Sunday, you serve us, you serve the kids' church so regularly. I say, how the world you got all the strength to do it? And then you can see that little spark in her eye. You can see that little, she said, Pastor, I don't know how to tell you. And then she went this, that really caught my heart. She said, Pastor, it's like when you fell in love with a person and you want to do everything you can for this person. So every Sunday, when I get to serve God, I got so much joy. I felt so much pleasure. I felt what an honor. And then she went on to describe, that's because I fall in love with this person called Jesus. And I thought about it. And I thought about all the reasoning that you can philosophically try to unpack who God is. But nothing replaces when you open up your heart and says, God, would you come into my life and walk me through the season of my life? And that is when God became personal. And then you walked away. You knew that there has to be a God. Because it wasn't just someone that you philosophically sorted out. It was someone you philosophically sort of reached a spot. But it was relationship that take you further that you know that God exists. Now, which is why, which is why, which is why, which is why in discovering God, the way that we do it is to give you enough information but points you to, would you consider to relate to God? Because it is in that journey you found God. Not too long ago, I led someone to Christ, uh, someone that was absolutely broken because of the, of the scenario this person has to go through. And I caught up with the person along the journey. How has it been, one-year-old, uh, one-month-old Christian? And then this person said, this, Pastor, uh, it was strange. You, you taught me how to, verse of the day, you, you version, right? You taught me how to read that. And it started off with telling me about the peace of God. That I come to church. And one of the worship sessions, they sing about the peace of God. And one of the preaching talk about the peace of God. You know, for just one month old Christian, he says, there's this something called the peace of God that has helped me to navigate through my suicidal thought, my giving up thought, my want-to-run-away thought, this thing called the peace of God. That's the way God works. That's the way God functions. 
wasn't just in your mind. He moves to your heart. And when you experience that, you will then know there has to be a God. It wasn't a myth. It wasn't a make-belief. Because He loves you. He cares for you. Can I go to amen? Why don't we pray? And then we'll dialogue, okay? God, we come before you this morning. Lord, I know there's a spectrum of people. Potentially, some do not know God. And if you are someone who do not know God, would you right now in your heart say, God, I really want to know you. Help me to know you. Reveal yourself. Uh, if you are someone who struggle with who God is because of the season of your life, would you tell God, God, help me make sense of my season. I know it is the most stretching. Help me to make sense. I, I, I don't know how, but you can because you are God. And maybe in this entire spectrum, God, I just pray that you will be personal to each and every one right now. And I pray that means the love of God, the presence of God, the Word of God will somehow be part of our journey of life in this season. We thank you. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.